trending news right now. Five minutes past four. Joining us is Atlerang Mulefe, social commentator. How are you doing today? I'm well, thanks. And how are you, Asanda? I'm good. Thank you so much. Okay, let's go straight into it. Okay. Hashtag Cyril Ramaphosa. First of all, the saga of the missing iPad. <laughs> We're calling it the first iPad since <laughs> it belongs to the, to the president. So he's supposed to now deliver an important announcement in Cape Town yesterday. And then there's this moment of panic when he can't find his iPad. First, he says it's stolen. Where is it? And he's now called to the podium and uh, his speech is not in front of him. Was this funny for you? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I always miss, like, the joke. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I just didn't have a sense of humor because <laughs> it wasn't really as funny. I was confused, but also at the same time, I was trying to um, understand what really happened there because it can't be that when the president of the nation is about to present his speech, then the iPad is not there. I just really started asking myself a lot of questions. Was it... Stolen as an act of malice, maybe just to um, stop him from what he was about to present. Or was it stolen just as a way to bug it? Or I was just really confused and puzzled about it. So I, I don't think for me it wasn't really funny. I, I don't know. <laughs> but it's a normal response, though. I mean, for any human being, when you have something, because you said he had it in his hand. Next thing yeah. it's gone. The normal response is to say, hey, well, somebody took my iPad. It's, mm. it's, it's stolen. So he looks at uh, the acting presidency spokesperson, Tyrone Siale, and says, where is it? I had it in my hand. Uh, I've lost it. Whose fault was this? Because the whole time he was also saying that and asking about it. And I, I think for me personally, um, I was also as confused because... Um, and I think when we need to also just get to the bottom of it, is it was he just trying to create a joke and just be funny, or did it genuinely get lost? Because I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't understand that part. How can they really steal his, you know, iPad? <laughs> with was he not with his bodyguards there? Like what was happening? I think it was just a mess. Yeah. So then the presidency says no. The president was making a joke. I don't think it was a joke. I think he did m- miss his iPad. Uh, but maybe he did, didn't know where somebody, maybe, so, you know, and also when you have so many people in your team uh, mm. moving up and down, this one can misplace this and this one can put this over there. This one hands this to this person and they don't hand it over to the right people and it becomes a mess. I just think it was one of those reality checks for us as South Africans, maybe. And, and it's a bit funny to me. <laughs> it probably was that. And uh, maybe he created a joke just a way of, you know, brushing it off or something. Yeah. So let's um, yeah. yeah. Let's talk then about what that announcement was. The important announcement. Hashtag Transnet, and we'll get into a break in just a bit. But just to introduce, so this is in a bid to reposition the economy, where the president was announcing the establishment of the National Ports Authority as an independent subsidiary of uh, Transnet, and this is in line with the National Ports Act of two thousand and five. How will this reposition the economy? Um, in what he was saying, he was talking about how it's going to make it profitable, sustainable, but also competitive globally. Um, so I think um, even the vision that he has for like trying to make sure that state-owned enterprises are becoming more competitive, I think I do see the vision and I do see the goal. I'm just um, uh, hoping that it does materialize as such. Because it simply means that if we're going to make sure that as we, you know, create other ports as well, then we're trying to be very competitive as a nation. Because if all of them are state-owned, then it means that it's also generating as much profit and revenue for the country. But I just hope that looking at the state of 
um, state-owned enterprises mostly in South Africa and how failing they are. I think if we can make sure that the administration is sorted, um, then I do think that we can be able to make it more profitable and competitive, as he did mention that that's the vision and that's the goal for it. All right, let's take a short break. And uh, our time being now 10 minutes past four. This is Sound Awake talking trending topics with Adlehang Mulefe. Trending news right now. So, Atlehang, in the same topic then, talking the National Ports Authority as an independent subsidiary of Transnet that is uh, to be established, the president uh, said that it would have its own board and that that board will be appointed by Minister of Public Enterprises, Pravin Gordon. He's got until June 30th to oversee the establishment of this new subsidiary. How can his job be made easier, Minister Gordon? Um, I think his job can be made easier if we can just um, stop appointing people based on um, the names and based on the fact that you're affiliated to that person in some way. Um, I think it can be easier maybe um, if you have uh, specific candidates that you also say that they need to apply for it based on specific requirements and based on um, specific profiles or portfolios that they have. Because I do think that if we really want to push the agenda of Um, fulfilling um, those um, needs or making sure that we're able to be competitive and profitable, as he said, it also means that even the administration or the people that needs to be um, spearheading it should be people who are qualified to actually be in that position to begin with. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think his job can be a lot easier if he can just not pick people based on their surnames or based on the fact that they're affiliated with um, the people within his circle, honestly. Mm. So Transnet will remain the sole uh, shareholder of the subsidiary to prevent any uh, negative impact, uh, the president would say. Uh, But there will be a separate, as we said, subsidiary. uh, And this will allow the ports authority to make their own investment decisions. So if they're making their own investment decisions uh, while Transnet is the sole shareholder, what do you see the benefit of this being? Um, I think largely it's just for them to own um, a smaller percentage just to benefit from it. But I think um, um, everything else is still going to be done by Transnet, which means that a lot of profit revenue goes towards them. But the reason why I support it partially is because um, I think if, if we make it fully um, state-owned or if we give them a huge portion without necessarily allowing Transnet to still be part of it. I just foresee a lot of problems in terms of like finances and sustaining the ports, but also most importantly being able to remain competitive. So I think the decision to actually just give them partially um, works best for everyone, especially in terms of like administration and making sure that the ports uh, can be sustainable in a way. And, I mean, the president did note that the performance of the country's ports has declined in comparison to other parts of the continent. We're not uh, faring squarely in that. So this would be, uh, I guess, the response to that also in making sure that uh, our exports are not impacted negatively, as you say. Um, Definitely. I think that's also um, just where, in terms of, like, his vision and his goal, um, the reason for it is to make sure that we also remain competitive, especially as a nation. Um, on the continent. So I, I, I do understand where he's coming from and I do hope that it materializes at the end. Because bottom line is the cost of goods for us. That's what we want to know about. How yeah. uh, That's going to uh, go lower more than the logistical and uh, technical part of it and also the board members being appointed and all of that. But everything, uh, I guess, uh, comes and aligns. 
zihamba ngolaini zonke. Okay, okay let's talk. Let's talk uh, hashtag Julius Malema now, the EFF leader uh, who says the EFF are going to march on uh, SAPRA offices uh, because of vaccine approval for Sputnik and Sinovac. They're not happy. Uh, the South African Health Products uh, Regulatory Authority offices, that's where they're going to be marching to to demand more vaccines. Um, I mean, I do understand um, that as a um, opposition party, it's your obligation to hold the ruling party to account. But there are certain things that they do, and especially this one, where they are against um, their fighting regulations and they're fighting for vaccine and they're going about it in a way that maybe um, it's just a way to, you know, vilify the ruling party or anything like that. I think those are, that's the bottom line. That's where I fully don't support them because I do think that um, how I imagine that accountability to be, it's not a way in which now you are constantly fighting every single thing that the ruling party has uh, put forth. Um, and I do think that the vaccine rollout is back again. Okay, it's back. We have it. And now they are vaccinating educators and just making sure that um, the students are protected in that way. Um, so I think that we need to also give it time, but we also need to put pressure on the government just to make sure that um, they don't forget the most important thing because um, the rollout has been very slow in South Africa whilst Mm. in many other nations the rollout has been quick. So I do think that we need to create that sense of agency just to make sure that the government does understand the importance of the vaccine and making sure that everyone is vaccinated by probably the end of the year. But to um, go about it the way that the EFF is doing, I fully don't... um, understand or um, agree with those um, with the way in which they're going about it. The other way, I mean, the way in which they feel that uh, should have been done different, uh, EFF leader Julius Malema saying that artists should have been the ones first in line to get their jabs because they were the most affected since no gatherings were allowed. Do you understand this logic or do you agree with it? Um, I definitely agree with this logic because, and this is why when I was also just unpacking it and trying to look at the different members of society, I literally came to a conclusion that almost everyone should just get the jab, should be the first in line. Um, Because if you look at it that way, um, this is someone who was constantly trying to make up for the fact that for the last time they were not making money or they were making just a small amount of money based on COVID. So they had many gigs and they were performing all the time. So you can imagine if people don't comply with um, COVID-19 regulations at Groove, uh, when we get to Groove, people take off their mask and anything like that. So mm. it becomes very um, not a safe space anymore. It's just like it's easy for you to, to have the virus. So I do understand where he's coming from there. Um, but I also do think that even with the way in which the rollout has been happening, um, there's also a reason why they want to have a specific member first before another one. So I think I do understand from the perspective of the government, and I also do understand from his own perspective, but I also think that as an opposition party, you cannot now be forcing those things and saying no. But I, I know that it's, it's your obligation to oppose, but I just think that also he needs to understand that even other members of society are equally as important in a way. And he also said church leaders should have also been prioritized on the same level on the list as artists. Um, I think... Church leaders and teachers should have been on the same list. I mean, now, uh, today, uh, we're starting with teachers. I, I, I thought church leaders would actually be a part of that list because they also teach the word of God or the word of spirituality. Um, definitely as well because, uh, I mean, even when churches were open and they 
did cap it, um, I think there were many instances where you would find that they've exceeded that number. So places like that, those institutions like churches, like schools, um, we should really be prioritizing those institutions a lot because um, also those are, I think for me, they're important because um, school, you need to get an education and even when things are bad, you're still expected to go to school um, just to get that qualification. Even in terms of spirituality and people's well-being, I think churches have helped them a lot. So I think in those regards, then we should be prioritizing those institutions holistically just to make sure that everyone does get the jab as soon as possible. And Malema, not ignoring entirely the importance of protecting school children and teachers, but he's saying that the schools should be rather shut down then in the space of prioritizing these other groups of society. What do you think about the shutting down of schools? I definitely don't support it. And I think that's why even when he was in that interview when he was speaking about um, COVID regulations and how we need to, we ought to shut down schools just as a way to prevent this from happening. I understand it from two positions. The first one being um, in other schools, you have about 10, 15 students in class. So it means that they're not largely affected in private schools. They can always, um, you know, uh, social distance and they'll, they'll still be fine. And I do understand that in public schools, we have about 40 plus students in, in one class. So making it very hard then to social distance. But even when he's speaking about equality and saying that he wants all schools to be shut down just as a way to make sure that public school kids don't feel left out when we shut them down. But that's the one thing that I don't think for me personally it it should happen. Um, I do think that it's important, though, to look into um, um, schools, and but also in terms of making sure that you constantly preach the gospel of social distancing honestly and that people should really take care of themselves and also just making sure that maybe if it was possible to have other classes as well just to make sure that, that you don't have like an overcrowded class in a way. But I think that if we shut down schools, what's the, what's the alternative? Are we saying that kids should stay at home for the next six months, seven months, until because COVID is not going anywhere, corona is not going anywhere? Just finally, I mean, he does say they've contributed as the EFF to uh, resources as well as the fight against COVID-19. So they're not just criticizing the president, but saying that after donating about 15 million, they expected that uh, the president Ramaphosa would, during that initial phase of the harsh lockdown, use this time to get more uh, vaccines and procure them. But instead, he slept on his job. They feel that that moment and that time of harsh lockdown should have been a time for him to regroup and do what was needed for vaccine uh, procurement um so then in a situation like that the person to hold to account is the president and not to then affect uh, members of society as well because if now you are saying that you made that contribution and you anticipated things to happen and for the plan to materialize but it didn't um you can't not you cannot now be saying that you're shutting down schools because we haven't um we don't have enough vaccines you know to to still continue with schools i think the best person to hold to account is the president in terms of wanting to find out what happened with that money and if there isn't any sort of alternative then to us as opposed to saying that you are now shutting down schools i i don't think that that makes a lot of sense i think um those two things can happen at the same time. You can hold them to account and you can also still allow students to go to school. Okay, final topic then, hashtag Democratic Alliance. So the party has released a campaign manager list for the upcoming local government elections and uh, a list of the, uh, this is mostly white DA election managers. I think there's only two people of color in the list and people are saying, uh, why? 
Our question today, even uh, talking of social cohesion, what does this mean for social cohesion? Um, I think uh, the DA as a party has proven constantly that they really don't care. And I think even when we try to um, bring them back and integrate them and remind them that this is a racial society and it's very important for them to be an inclusive party, I think they've proven to us so many times that it's not a party that we want it to be. It's like a predominantly white party, it's elitist, it's classist, and all of those things. So I think that even at the point where we're not even holding them to account effectively, then they're still always going to remain as a party like that. Because imagine disclosing um, the list of managers and you don't even have a person of color or a black person. But I personally wasn't surprised. Like, I never get surprised by... Um, a party like the DA, um, but I do think that in insofar as so uh, as understanding um, what country we're in, I think that they always miss the chat. I think that they always they're not willing to actually understand the importance of making sure that even the way in which they pick their people, that it, it represents um, South Africa, which is the different races. I think they really just don't care about it. So in terms of social cohesion, I think there's so many ways in which social cohesion can be achieved. And I think even as a, as a state, we are constantly failing in trying to live up to the principles of making sure that we reach social cohesion. Because one... Um, we are not forcing them in any way to try and integrate different members of society. We're just letting them be. We just announced it on media that this is what they did, but we don't do anything about it. And I also do think that, secondly, also, we need to be actively trying, and especially in political parties, engaging and making sure that we're able to reach social cohesion from there before we can even try and force it in society. So the response from the DA side is the appointments are on the grounds of experience and those who are experienced in the field. That's why they came up with this list that represents what it does currently. Also, in 2019, five of the party's nine provincial election campaign managers were black. So is that not holding some sort of clout when we look at history and what the DA has done in representation? No. Um, I, I don't think that's, that's it because also if you, we look at it, we also see how um, those black people who are in those positions over time, they started leaving the party. And even though they don't disclose what really happened, um, we know that it's, it's just a way of always using um, the black people as a mirror to get the black vote. But at the end of the day, it's not necessarily that the party does represent the interests of different members of society. But also if it's based on experience and qualification, I don't think that's true. I personally don't think there isn't any black person deserving of that position. Because later on, you're still going to find out that maybe a person who's holding power, they doesn't even have post-qualifications outside of you know high school. So I, I don't think it's based on qualification and experience. If anything, it's just based on you know race and racial politics in that party are just a lot. Let's leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us again, Atlehang. Enjoy your Wednesday. Thank you so much, and same to you, Asanda. Thanks so much. Atlehang Mulef, a social commentator discussing social media trends in the last 24 hours, part of our trending topics.